0: All right, um, we are in number three of Back to the Basics series. Pastor Jeremy did an amazing job on Labor Day preaching to you the value of labor. I came in last week and talked about the supremacy of the word. Basics are fundamentals. They are rudimentary to our walk in the kingdom of God. And so we talked about uh, the written word, the spoken word, the heard word, and how that impacts our lives. And transforms us. It was D.L. Moody that said the Bible is not for your information, but it's for your transformation. And so we look at it for that purpose as the book that God has given to us. This morning, I want to uh, put together a couple of concepts. We normally in our basics talk about serving and the things that we do voluntarily to reach out and minister to the needs of others, the things that we do in order to share our time, our talent, our treasure in our local church and in our community. It's not just about the bricks and mortar that we call Victory Church, but it's about being the body of Christ in the community. This is really just kind of the training ground for the larger work of ministry that you do five days a week. Come on, somebody. Uh, It's not, you know, the church is not just a place that we gather on Sunday morning. The church is a living, breathing organism of people that are called to show and shine Jesus in the earth. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about the, the necessity of generosity. Everybody say the necessity of generosity. We have a text that's from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. I'd like for you to find a screen if you would and read the text for the message with me, please. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. King James says, There is that which scattereth and yet increaseth. Kind of some big ETH, Elizabethan uh, verbs. And and yet there is that which holdeth, and tendeth to poverty. So basically he's talking about the willingness to open your hand and be generous. That's the reason I love the message, because it's just so clear. The world of the generous becomes larger and larger. The world of the stingy becomes smaller and smaller. And it says, the liberal soul shall be made fat. Now, we're not talking political ideas here, but liberality in the sense of being generous. And it says, he that waters and refreshes others shall himself be refreshed, is the King James this one says, those who help others are helped. And so it's kind of, you know, what you do comes back to you. Jesus said in Luke 6:38, 38, Give and it shall be given, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men. Bring the blessing of the Lord and dump it into your lap, is what one of the newer translations says. And so today as we look at uh, this message on the necessity of generosity, I have one thing that I want you to grasp during this message And so let's find that screen and very heartily, I want you to just say it with meaning. Here we go. Let's get it a couple of times. Here we go. Because our giving is in three dimensions time, talent, and treasure, no one is ever without something to give. Remember, God loves a cheerful giver. Get it one more time. Because our giving is in three dimensions time, talent, and treasure, no one is ever without something to give. Remember, God loves. A cheerful giver. Let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer. Father of lights, shine down on us. The psalmist said, send out your light and truth and let them lead us, Lord. Thank you that you did that 2,000 years ago and the light had a name and his name is Jesus. Shine down upon us, shine out through us, shine into dark places of brokenness and bring healing shine into dark places of confusion and bring clarity and understanding shine into places of addiction and bondage and bring freedom and release let the life-giving message of the gospel the good news of a god who is happy and who loves us unconditionally let that be poured out into our hearts by the holy ghost this morning i pray i'll be careful to give you all the praise Apart from you, I can't do anything. And God, I thank you that with you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Fill up this place with your Holy Spirit. Change our hearts. Transform us today for your glory. It is in your name that we pray and all of God's people said. Amen. We dedicate a few weeks every year to speaking to financial stuff. And I always, every time we do that, is to say, hey, if you're a guest this morning, it's your first time, just forgive me from the outset. This message is about money. I'm sorry. Uh, You know, you have to speak to that because we want to not just make sure that we grease the skids and everybody is, you know, giving appropriately. Uh, It's really, really not about that. It's really about helping you find and understand some principles that have been established in the kingdom of God that are here to bring increase into your life. Because as we give, we understand that God multiplies. He gives back. And this morning, I will temper that a little bit with this idea that I don't want you to merely think about this in terms of dollars and cents. This message today is not to line you up and everybody turn out your pockets. Um, It's not about an increase in an offering or anything like that at all. It's about having a whole life of generosity. It's about sharing with the, the world and with our brothers and sisters, first of all, in the family of God, with our own families, our own natural blood-kin relationships, but those that have been born of the Spirit as well in the community of faith, and then those in the community out here in the Delta that God has marked and that are yet to become part of the family of God. I believe that we are to share out of the nature of The God who is no longer separated from us, way off in the distance, but the God who came near in Jesus and by the Holy Spirit now lives on the inside of us. So the God who is himself a giver has now given so that he could come on the inside of us and he could give through us. Somebody say amen if you understood what I just said. God's nature is to give. And there are threes that are stamped all over the scripture because God is three in one. He is one God, but He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we see, we, theologians literally made a word in order to come up with this concept. Trinity comes from, triu- from, from threeness and oneness, unity brought together. It is the concept that God is one God, but He is three in one. In the same way, His stamp and His nature is all over us because we are spirit, soul, and body. In the same way that God is. God is a spirit, He has a soul. He dwells in a body. I'm looking at the body of God this morning. He lives in a people. Come on. He, 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 God is here this morning because He showed up when you walked in with Him on the inside of you. This, there is nothing special about the bricks and mortar of this place. And if you can even receive this, as wonderful as it will be to own our own facility Uh, There is nothing in in terms of brand or model or structure or design that will make that place holy. It will be the purpose for which it has been set aside that makes it holy. And it's the people of God that come into it and the presence of God that fills it that will make that place holy. Come on somebody. See, See, God can take unholy places and fill them with His presence and all of a sudden it becomes holy. God can go down into the ghetto of somebody's broken life and, and, and take all the, the ramshackle pieces of, uh, of stuff that the devil's basically thrown down. I'm going to preach a little bit this morning because I feel something coming up way down from my toes. And God can take the mess that you're in and the mess that you've made and the brokenness because of decisions and wrong turns that have been made and He can take the ghetto of what's left and turn it into something beautiful. Turn it into a place of holiness and a place of beauty. As a matter of fact, that's what the the writer of Ecclesiastes said, that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And look at your neighbor and say, it's time. It's time for the delta. It's time for your family. It's time for the dry bones of relationships, as we call them in faith, to come alive in the name of Jesus. And so in the very same way all over Scripture, there's a threeness stamped on it. We see in in John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, those little letters he wrote to stages of maturity, little children, young men, fathers. Jesus talked about stages of fruitfulness, that there's some that bear 30-fold and some 60-fold and some 100-fold. And then there's the seed and then there's the blade and there's the full corn in the ear. In terms of our, our sustenance, there's the milk that babes drink. There's the bread of the word, that those that are a little bit more, more mature grab hold of, and then those that are seasoned, the Bible says there's meat for them in the word in due season. So there's 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 a sandwich. Every time I come together, I, I've got to be con, I have to be cognizant. About God's desire to meet and minister to people right where they are. So there's a bread and there's meat and there's a beverage. And if you're not ready to chew this morning and your teeth hadn't come in, just gum it a little bit and get you a big dose of milk." First Peter 2 says, "Let the newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. There's some milk that you don't ever outgrow. Come on somebody." Uh, I'm 56 years old and I still enjoy, I keep my milk in a glass container in the side of the refrigerator and it just gets extra cold and it's just so wonderful, you know, to be able to enjoy that. That's not just baby food. Uh, Are y'all hearing what I'm talking about this morning? And so there's some basics to the word sometimes that will nourish you, that will encourage you, that will minister to you. And so God has stamped us in terms of our our life of giving in three areas, our time, our talent, our treasure. Our time is who we are. Because when I give time to something, I'm giving the essence of who I am. I'm I'm showing up and volunteering even when I may not feel like it or may not even be in the mood to do it, but I give myself to a charitable organization in the community or I come up here and I serve on a team and I, I, I greet people at the door with a smile even when I didn't wake up with a smile on my face. I know nobody else in the room ever has that happen to you. Y'all are spiritual. Y'all, y'all are holy, you know. It's only it's only the pastor that wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> Come on, we're just real people. It's just, they're just days, you just they up not in the mood for it. And and you just have to you just have to faith it until you make it. Come on. I didn't say fake it, I said faith it. You trust God and you, you do it and you go, God, I do, it in, I do it in faith in Jesus' name that you'll meet me. It's amazing how when we step out and trust God, he'll show up and meet you and it'll be better than you ever expected. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Your time is who you are. You're given a piece of yourself. Your talent is what you know. It's a skill. It's a, it's, it's a particular uh, skill set of knowledge or some principles or maybe a, 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 a talent that, that God has given you, a natural ability or some area of training that you... And so when you give that, you're giving a piece of yourself. And then our treasure is our money. And so I'm sneaking in the back door to tell you it's not just about your finances. It's not just about the money that you give. But literally, when you give money, you're giving a big piece of yourself. For every dollar you give, you shared your time and your talent at a job that you may or may not like. And they exchanged that and gave you a medium of exchange called Dollars. And those dollars have purchase power. You're literally going to Walmart and giving them a piece of who you are. You've worked 40 hours, 50, 60, 70 hours maybe in the last week. And, and you have so many of those dollars, those, those coupons that have, give you the ability to buy the stuff you need. And, and, and you're exchanging a piece of your life, your time, your talent, your treasure. And, and, and money is, is a concentrated form. It's like carnation milk that's condensed. You have to put some water in it because there's a hole. It's just so powerful. Well, money is a condensed form of who you are. It's, It's your time and your talent wrapped up in this treasure. And when you give a piece of it to God, you're saying, God, I'm giving myself to you and I ask you, Lord, that you bless everything that's left, that you multiply it back to me. And so, because our giving is in three dimensions, our time, our talent, our treasure, no one is ever without something to give. Now, realize that this morning, that if you're in a season where the money's tight, you got a whole lot of stuff that you can access, that you can go and give away and unclog the obstacle in the conduit of blessing and and, and get the kink out of the hose so the water starts to flow, so you can get a fresh drink. We'll talk about that a little bit this morning. Remember, God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful is the Greek word hilaros. This this appears in the Bible in the second book of Corinthians. And the, the word for cheerful, God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word is hilaros. We get our English word hilarious from that same word. So God loves somebody who is joyful enough when they give something that they're not doing it out of compulsion, they're not under pressure, and they're not resistant they're not, they're not hanging on to the, to the $20 bill when you're giving it to somebody and you end up doing like this tug-of-war match and you finally let go. But you're doing it out of joy because God loves a hilarious giver. Everybody say, be hilarious. Yes. Whatever you do, enjoy yourself in the presence of God as you give your time, who you are, as you give your talent, what you know, as you give your treasure, what you have, what you own, okay? I have four principles that I want to bring to you today it is the believer's generosity. Before I do, I have a quote that I don't have on the screen that I want to give to you. Corey Ten Boom is a dear saint who's gone to glory, but uh, grew up during the time as of the Second World War Nazi infiltration of Europe and grew up in a family. I believe her father was in, the I believe it was the watch, watchmaking business or something like that, and they were, had, they were a family of, of some means in Europe. And they hid in secret locations throughout their house Jews during the time of the Holocaust to save fellow human beings that were of a different religious persuasion because the Ten Boom family were Christian. And they hid Jews to preserve human life and respect out of the dignity for fellow human beings Uh, to keep them from the gas chambers of a crazed, demonically-possessed maniac by the name of Adolf Hitler. And she said this, she said, The measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. Your life, mine, what could be inscribed on the epitaph of our tombstones, what we've lived and packed into the dash between the date of our birth The date of our arrival and the date of our departure, the date of our death, is all about the essence of who we are. And it's about the donation. It's about what we have given back. It's about how we have chosen to bless others on the planet with our time, our talent, our treasure. I believe there are four things that the believer's generosity is. I don't want to say should be. I don't want to say ought to, because this is not about putting a legalistic requirement on you to have to... Check off to earn a gold star because we know that nothing we do can earn the favor of God. He freely gives it to his children. And if you are his child, you are blessed. You might not know it yet. You might not be acting like it yet. But as his child, as his son, as his daughter, you are blessed by the Father. Everybody say, I am blessed. The believer's generosity is, number one, is spiritual. Everybody say, spiritual. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the English Standard Version, which vast majority of Greek scholars and theologians attest to this and believe that it is the nearest to the uh, original that we have right now in terms of a studious kind of a translation. It's a little bit clunky, doesn't flow like some of the uh, more thought-for-thought translations like The Message and NLT, as I'll get to in a minute. But this is what it says in, in Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? Say it. Spiritual worship. Paul the Apostle was appealing to the Roman Christians to say to them, Look, with everything in me, with all the energy I have, I'm I'm trying to grab your attention to say, give yourselves to God. Everything that you do on a daily basis is not just about an offering on Sunday morning, but your life is an offering. Your life is worship to God. How you keep your house, how you treat your spouse. That's rhyming, and I didn't even plan it. (laughs) I'm going to start a little preaching and rapping here. Uh, how, how you cut your grass. And I'm not going to try to rhyme that way. Um, um, how, how, how you water your yard. <laughs> that was not planned. Help me, Holy Spirit. It's just, man. Anyway, y'all, y'all are a mess. That's just what I want to say. <laughs> I beseech you, the King James says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. King James says your reasonable service. And basically what he's saying is after God, who is the giver that established this whole thing in the kingdom, God is a giver because the first law of love is giving because God loved and he gave and he gave his only begotten son. After he gave the greatest gift the planet could ever receive, it is only reasonable in your service that you would give yourselves back to God. I love the ESV because he says this is your spiritual worship. Because we have a tendency to compartmentalize and think about Sunday morning songs, worship songs, being worship. How I many you know you can sing the song and not have any worship in what you're doing? You can go through the motions, seeing everybody else enjoying the presence of God, and you're just... You're just mouthing, it's just dead words. You know, we can can think that because we're singing a worship song that we're worshiping, but worship flows out of a heart that does it 24-7, 365. It, it, it's out of a, a consciousness of the presence of God that whatever I do in word or deed, Colossians 3.23, I do it all to the glory of God. I work to the glory of God. I clean my house to the glory of God. I, 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 I treat my family right to the glory of God. Now everybody blows it. We all miss it. Thank God that we can get forgiveness and we can do a reset. We get back up on the horse and we can ride again. But it's all that we do should be to the glory of God. Somebody say amen. Amen. He says here I appeal to you. King James says I beseech you. So it's strong language going I'm trying to do everything I can to get your attention to give yourself back to God. Let your life be a spiritual act of worship. Let your generosity, your time, your talent, your treasure flow out of a generous heart because if you're generous your world will get larger and larger but if you're stingy and hold back your world has a tendency to get smaller and smaller. The planet and the economics of man is driven by a concept called scarcity. And scarcity is the idea that the less of something creates a greater degree of value. That's why gold is more valuable than dirt. You can buy an acre of ground for the price of maybe an ounce or two of gold. I mean now, location has everything to do with it. You start talking about an acre in Manhattan, New York City, then it's probably more valuable than gold. But you talk about any of the land that is around here, any of the acreage in, in West Memphis, Marion in Memphis even, and, and you're talking about because land is so plentiful and in abundance, then it does not have the value that gold or diamonds or precious gems or uranium or some of the precious metals of the earth and the elements that God placed here in terms of resources on the planet the fewer of them that there are, then man has ascribed this principle that says, because there's so little of it, then it has greater value. But I want to tell you that in the natural that works, but in the kingdom of God we're not limited to the the principle of scarcity. Because we're serving a God who took a little boy's lunch one day, his little happy meal from uh from Ben Mickey D's, whatever, in Israel, and he had a little lunch, a little filet of fish sandwich. He had he had Five loaves and two fish, and the little boy put it willingly into the master's hand, and that lunch fed twenty thousand people. Scripture says five thousand men counted, and they didn't count the women and children those days because it was only the men were the ones that counted in that culture. How many you know? How many thankful that Jesus came along to also change that and elevate women to a place of dignity and not just chattel to be owned and controlled by their husbands, but to be the other counterpart of the image of God, male and female, made he them. Come on, somebody say amen. Ladies, you ought to be shouting me down. What's wrong with you? Thank you. Um, As we recognize that God is able to take what little we have and we put it into his capable hands by the kingdom of God and by his unlimited, all-sufficient power, he can take our scarcity and blow it into abundance. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So in the kingdom of God, we're not limited to economies of scale or uh, capitalism or a command economy of communism or anything like that. The kingdom of God can flourish in any of those areas, sometimes easier in one than the other, but it can flourish in spite of the limitations of man. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me? Now, I want you to realize that as we begin to grasp this understanding of my time, my talent, my treasure, that God wants us to be generous. Tim Keller is a great hero of mine. He pastors Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Great theologian, writer, speaker, read several of his books. He says a lack of generosity refuses to acknowledge that your assets are not really yours but God's. Now, in assets, don't just think in terms of a balance sheet, in terms of, tangible assets of of cash and that sort of thing, but also let's think about kingdom assets of skill sets and talent and desire and your time. The beautiful thing about time is it's the one area that we really are equal because nobody's week here has 200 hours in it. Everybody has a 168-hour week, and it's what you choose to do with that time that has everything to do with the blessing of God on your tomorrow. The decisions that you make today affect how your life will be tomorrow. What you intend to do tomorrow is not going to change your life because sometimes we don't ever get around to it. It's what I do today. It's what I do right now. Everybody say right now. Right. No, you got to say it like Arkansas. Right now. Right. right now. What we do right now is going to affect the decisions, the choices that I make right now are going to affect my tomorrow. And, and if I string enough of those together, then it begins to affect the, the, the actual financial resources and the strength that I can provide for my family for generations to come. I'm grateful to God because of faithful Christian parents that believed in the tithe and to some degree labored with the basis of what we call the American dream and in two generations have seen an outrageous leap in terms of increase. Both of my parents were born into families of abject poverty. My dad was one of 12 children born in Savannah, Tennessee, and during the time of the Depression, they lost their 160-acre farm in Savannah and moved to Taranza, Arkansas, and they sharecropped on the Norcross Plantation in Taranza. And So my dad grew up there, and my mom was born in a little shack outside of Mark Tree, Arkansas. I, I mean, if you even know there is an outside to Mark Tree, Arkansas. <laughs> um, and, and and it, I don't don't hear that the wrong way because my people are from there. My my sweet granddad, Jake Blake, who was said to be the most righteous man in town, true godly man, and three children were born to Jake and Ellie, Ella Blake. My sweet mom, Mary Agnes, was the, the baby. And mom quit school in the sixth grade at 14 to marry my 25-year-old daddy. And... Jake Blake, who was a deacon in the Church of God, required Grady, my dad, to come to church and court Mary Agnes on the pew at the Church of God on uh, Allen Street in Marktree, Arkansas. And so if you're going to see Mary Agnes, if you're going to see my daughter, then you're going to see her at church. And so that was, that was their requirement. My dad never finished formally. He In the Army, he got his GED, but he never finished in formal education past the third grade because year after year after year in their agriculturally driven home that they did everything, raised the chickens and milked the cows and had the hogs and grew the crops and everything and tried to sell them to make a living and grew enough vegetables to be able to feed the family. Every year it would get a little bit further as harvest season came and dad would get behind and he said, you know it was embarrassing when you're you know 14 years old and you're sitting with the second graders and so you just finally get disgusted and quit. And, And to think about that and that in one generation has three sons that all graduated college with postgraduate degrees, and that now my children in their 20s are enjoying a degree of success and prosperity that even right now are, are greater than the blessing that I have in terms of financially. That's just two generations. Can you imagine what it would be if you would start making godly decisions right now? You can affect generations to come and break a cycle of poverty and ignorance and see the blessing of God and the hand of God come on your life generationally, not just for you, right now. Mom and dad were faithful with what they had, and they poured those principles and the love for God into their children. The children have been faithful with what they had, and they've seen God be able to just just explode the blessings of the Lord out of a spirit of generosity. It's crazy what my older brother's kids have done. My my, my my brother Jim, who is, I'm 56, Jim is 70 years old and he has a son who's a Navy SEAL who has written a dozen books on, on health and has parlayed that Navy SEAL career into a, all this book writing that he's doing is just going like a million dollars. It's crazy because that that desire to to and he's a Christian, he loves Jesus, and that desire just to dig in and to work hard, that, that old Puritan work ethic that we've all heard about, that you, you work like it all depends on you, but you pray like it all depends on God. And when you put those two elements together and you can sanctify the American dream with a kingdom perspective and not just a give me all I can and guard it and I'll load up my shotgun and shoot you, you know, if you try to mess with my stuff but really live out of a heart of generosity, let let us become in our giving liberal, and I'm not saying political either, I'm just saying let us be liberal in our hearts and give and bless others, then it's amazing what God can do because your world will become larger and larger and larger and larger. Come on somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Are you getting anything out of this? Let me move quickly. The believer's generosity is spiritual. That's where we worship the Lord. I worship God not only on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock when we sing songs to the Lord, but I worship God how I work tomorrow. I worship God with my attitude toward my boss. Or if you are the boss, you worship God with your attitude rightfully toward your employees, respecting them And, and, and seeing the blessing of God come on your business and righteously to what is appropriate, sharing the blessing of that business into their lives as you invest into them. Don't shout me down. I'm preaching real good right now. Secondly, the believer's generosity is sacrificial. Everybody say sacrificial. Romans 12, 1, same verse. Let's get it in another translation. The New Living says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead. There's that strong word. I'm, just, I'm reaching out to you with everything I've got. I beseech you, the King James says. I appeal to you, the ESV said. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living, read it with me in bold. Let them be a what? A living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. It was C.S. Lewis, the Catholic philosopher, theologian, who said this, "I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare." When I give sacrificially, it means that I'm moving outside of my comfort zone. I'm spending a little extra time and giving my time to someone that cannot benefit me in any way whatsoever. I'm giving willingly and I'm giving sacrificially when I have to take time with an EGR person. You know what an EGR person is? It's extra grace required. Everybody has some of those in your life that they just, they're just like nails on chalkboard. They just grate you and you just go, God, you give me grace in Jesus' name. You know, because you're just going, okay, it's going to take some extra grace here to deal with this. Because there are just some folk... Some folk, you remember, you remember Pig Pen in the, the, the Peanuts comic strip? Everywhere he went, there's just a swirl of dust. There are, people, there are people that everywhere they go, they're just creating drama. They just got a swirl of drama around them, and they just always got something, and their lives are always on the brink of ending, and they just got to wrap you up and draw you, suck you up into their drama. I don't care for drama. I, I want to be real. I want to help you, and sometimes it takes a little while to you know really get down to where folk are and then when you really try to help them they don't want to hear it because the kingdom of God will talk straight to you. It will, the principles that are in the word of God will love you unconditionally but it will tell you straight and will go you keep living like this and it's going to kill you. Right, am I helping somebody this morning? And so when I have to give sacrificially that's when I draw on those resources of saying God give me grace give me grace here to love. Help me love like Jesus loved. What was it somebody said one time that a teacher, a teacher who invests in the lives of children, has to have the love of Jesus and the wisdom of Solomon and the patience of Job? That last part is the one that gets me. Patience. Job, I don't know. That's not one of my favorite parts of scripture, but had patience. How many of you know if we're really going to invest and see the delta change for the glory of God and break the backbone of ignorance and poverty and racism, we have to have a long-term in view. This is a marathon and not a sprint. And we commit to this and we commit to love people in spite of the bondages that are on them and their thinking or the bad choices that they have made. Do I need to find another place? I, I'm preaching way better than you're acting this morning. <laughs> Sacrificial love. Listen to this, John three sixteen. It's on a, every placard at every sporting event. For this is how God loved the world. Say it. What did he do? He gave. The first law of love is giving. Amy Carmichael, the great Carmelite nun who went to Calcutta, India, and in 50 years saw the most disgusting broken ghetto of destitution and poverty and sickness and sinfulness be turned upside down and it became in the middle of all of that darkness and brokenness and chaos, she literally raised up a garden of Eden just outside the city of Calcutta, India because of principles like industry and endurance and generosity. Where there was nothing, where there was no water, they begin to gradually dig trenches for ditches that would start to water crops that begin to grow and become larger year after year, and the crops begin to emerge and the, the, the verdant green pastures of this Carmelite nun farm began to grow and people started getting uh, sustenance to have food to eat and, and, and put the brokenness of their lives back together because one woman who was crazy enough to believe that God could exceed the expectation of people who would work together and give out of generosity. And she changed India for the kingdom of God. So ladies, don't think you don't have the ability to 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 bring great change in this community. You have the most significant, most powerful ability to influence those around you. Hallelujah. Amy Carmichael said this, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. When we give sacrificially, that's when we trust the Lord. When I give spiritually, that's when I worship the Lord. When I give out of my comfort zone, I'm trusting God to Help me in a step of faith to carry me beyond what I'm comfortable in giving. Jesus took up an offering one day as they're standing at the gate of the temple and all of the rich Pharisees wrote in big checks and dropped them in and they, they were, all of the stuff was jangling from the big gold coins and everything that they were offering. And all of a sudden a little widow woman walks up and drops in two copper pennies and Jesus stopped the whole thing. And she said, every one of you, she's given more than all of you. And the rich businessmen, Pharisees, legalists of the day got offended and said, how is this possible? I, gave, I, I wrote a $10,000 check. Jesus said, you've all given out of your abundance. She gave all that she had. There are times I believe God will call you to, to give sacrificially and take not just an extra step of faith, but stick your neck way out there on the line and give to something or to someone or to a cause or for a purpose that will advance the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. Greatest Baptist preacher in the world, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, pastored Metropolitan Tabernacle in the mid-1800s in London, England. He said this, he said, In all of my years of service to the Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. He said, That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole worth of my being to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I ever gave in the first place. You know that's true. If you give spiritually out of your life, if you give sacrificially out of your time, your talent, your treasure, you know that God has a way of multiplying it back to you. Point number three, the believer's generosity is systematic. Everybody say systematic. Look at 1 Corinthians 16. Let's get two verses. Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the children in Galatia. On the first day, everybody say the first day of the week. So that's on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. So what is this saying? How often should I give, pastor? Well, whether that's time, talent, or treasure, let's just speak specifically to finances for a moment. If you get paid monthly, then I believe you ought to give the Lord an offering on a monthly basis. If you get paid bi-weekly, then you ought to, every two weeks, give the Lord an offering. If you get paid every week, then you ought to take out a portion where you give a portion of that to the Lord. We don't, uh, out of any compulsion or pressure, we don't visit you with a finance team and ask you to sign a card. We, don't, we have never taken pledges toward the budget here at Victory. Other churches do that. We are not... In any way thinking that we're better than them because we don't. This is just how the Lord instructed us. We've always stepped out in faith every year, and we've taken, uh, we believe God and said, okay, let's trust God for a 5% increase in this budget. And every year, God's just always blessed us. And over the years we've seen it grow. We've taken the long way around it, but we've never done anything that we've done out of any kind of compulsion. Nobody's ever been pressured and said, Well, you know, you own a business, you ought to be, you ought to be. See, it's just legalism. It's not my place to tell you anything you ought to do other than you ought to obey God. You ought to hear from the Lord and you ought to obey God. I think that's a good thing for everybody in the room to learn. You ought to obey God. Whatever the Lord tells you. And that's different for everybody in the room because we are all in different stations and statuses in life. Can you say amen to that? Augustine said this. He said, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. African bishop, Roman Catholic Church, the fourth century, great effect on Western civilization, wrote the first novel, The Confessions of Augustine, Um, City of God, picture of the kingdom of God coming to the earth, probably has affected more the rule of law, theology, in so many areas, most of us never even knew that he was a black man. And so don't ever let what somebody tells you that you can't do because of your color or your race or your creed, you, you can do anything that God calls you to do with the Spirit of God on your life, male, female, black, white. What is it uh, Galatians 3 says that in Christ there's neither male nor female, bond nor Greek, Jew nor Scythian. All of these are one in Christ. I mean, you know, we all come to the cross and are on the same footing. Everybody's got to bow their knee and, 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 and bow their hearts before God at the cross. Come on, somebody say amen. Nobody has it any better. There are no advantages in the kingdom of God. Um, it's amazing to me that Paul writes this incredible chapter of, of heavy revelation about the resurrection and the mort- mortality of man, putting on the immortal, about the kingdom of God coming and the, the end coming. And and Jesus lifts up and delivers the kingdom of God to the Father and the glory of the Lord is covering the earth as the waters cover the seas, what the Bible says. And and he writes this, hangs us in the heavens, in the rafters of the heavenlies, with this amazing word about the resurrection and everybody being raised up in his own time and Christ the first fruits. And it's just almost anticlimactic because after, after 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 16 opens up and says, now concerning the collection of the saints... Now about the offering, boys. Let's talk. So it looks like he preaches this amazing, T.D. Jakes kind of having everybody on your feet, just doing, you know, just can't can't even be still. And we were in worship this morning, and Jeremy got tickled at me because uh, y- you guys remember that old Gong show with Chuck Berry? You remember Gene Gene, the dancing machine? <laughs> we were on the front row, and that's that's how I got my worship on this morning. I was I had a Gene Gene, the dancing machine move going. <laughs> Some of y'all are too spiritual. You don't. You didn't. Know, you don't watch TVD. Okay, I'm sorry. I got to hang out with some different folk. I guess I don't know. I Guess I'm just a mess. Okay. What did that have to do with my message? Um, when we when we are when our when our generosity is spiritual, we worship the Lord. When it's sacrificial, we trust God to cover what's making us step out in faith. When our our giving, when our generosity is systematic, then I'm honoring the Lord. I'm honoring the Lord on a regular basis with how he has blessed me. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Everybody say, good wine. Look at your neighbor and say, i got to get me some of that. So he's saying, I will bless you. Bread and wine and oil, all of those things that in that agricultural economy were a picture of success and blessing. Point number four, and I'm finished. The believer's generosity is not only spiritual, where we worship the Lord, it's not only sacrificial, where we trust the Lord, it's not only systematic, where we honor the Lord, but finally, this morning, the believer's generosity is spontaneous. And in that spontaneity, I learned to follow the Lord. I learned to say, the Lord is my shepherd. What he feeds me, I will swallow. And where he leads me, I will follow. And I learned to watch his ways and see how he ministers to those that are less fortunate and those that are broken. And how I give my time and my talent and my treasure. And how in the midst of a busy day, I might spontaneously take a moment and really pour into someone where there's some extra grace is required. And just love on them. Just tell them how much the Lord loves them. So as I follow the Lord, listen to the verses. Romans eight fourteen says, For all who are led, everybody say led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit of God. They are the children of God. I want to learn to follow Jesus and, and give my time, my talent, my treasure where it might be needful for someone. I usually keep some singles, some ones in the console of my vehicle because when I'm in Memphis, just on a regular basis, I'll see somebody at a stoplight coming off the interstate and they'll be holding a, we'll work for food sign. And I remember back in the nineties, I was just really headlong into the whole, just ultra conservative and, you know, had Bible to support it. You don't work, you don't eat. And, and I remember one day we picked up a young man right there at Madison as we came off I-240 and Don was in the Jeep with me and and a handsome young man I said, what are you doing out here? You can get a job. You're, you're a good-looking guy. What, what's what's the deal? And he told me his story. He'd been sleeping underneath the shadow of the alcove of Idlewild Presbyterian Church, and he had a little worn backpack. And it was a very tragic story. I don't have time to tell you because it would take me a few minutes to set it up and tell you. And so we drove through Chick-fil-A and got him a meal and then took him back so that he could stand out there and, you know, collect some change or some ones for some, from some more people. And I remember in the past thinking, my goodness, you know, on a six or eight hour day, that person out there is probably making more money today than I am. And that's how I thought. And I remember one day I pulled up there by myself, and let me just not lose the story. We prayed for the young man and encouraged him. I've never seen him since then. I don't know what happened to him. But I took a moment to spontaneously give to someone, and it wasn't just a quick dollar, but it was a meal, and it was a prayer, and it was a witness and sharing some, some love, just one brother to another. And Dawn was just taken. She said, you know, that, this just, just breaks my heart. He's, he he's has so much potential. And yet his story. See, the whole point is we don't know those people's story. And, and the, th- the thing that you've got to realize is even sitting in this room this morning, there are people here that are hurting and broken over something that nobody else in the room knows anything about. And before we jump to conclusions, by the way, biblically, that's called judgmentalism. Before we jump to conclusions and pass judgment on someone, what if we could just stop long enough to make a connection and smile and listen and lend an ear to hear? I remember I was driving up one day right at at that same spot on Madison, and, and there was an individual standing there, and I heard the Lord say, give him money, and I looked in my console, and it wasn't a one. And I've told this story over the years. This truly happened to me. I'm not making it up. And I realized that one time I told it, and it grew from a $10 bill to a $20 bill, and I got a conviction because I don't want to tell a lie. And so I really couldn't remember. I don't remember. All I know is it wasn't a one. It was more than I wanted to give, and it was what was there in the console. And so I opened the window, and I held it out there, and he took it, except I didn't let go of it real quick. It was kind of one of these, you know. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you why I gave him that. Because I heard the Lord say to me, give him money. And I was not giving anybody any money in those days. I was just stingy. And, and, and had Bible to substantiate why I was not doing any of that. You don't work, you don't eat. Kind of a thing. And I heard the Lord say to me, give him money. And I said, God, he's going to make more money out there today than I will. And he said, you need to give it a whole lot worse than he needs to receive it. I, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So I took out whatever it was—a ten or a twenty. Either way, it was more than I wanted to give. It was sacrificial, and it was spontaneous. It was obeying the Lord, and I handed it to him. And I just said, real quickly, I said, "Brother, Jesus loves you and praying for you." And drove because the light turned. I didn't have time to, you know, present a twenty-minute presentation of the gospel. So, uh, what is what is my point? When we learn to follow the Lord and be spontaneous, you know this process that I've gone through this last year has been an outrageous transition because the love of my life that I was with for, uh, that I was with for 31 years of marriage is not in the house. And I have time that I didn't used to have. And I have money that I didn't used to have. And you know, before it was two people And their children appealing for the pot. And thank God they're grown now and off my payroll, praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Shikamoshai. But it's, you know, and it was just two of us going, okay, let's do this. And we had to come to agreement. Well, now it's just me. And I'll be honest with you, I would much rather have her than to have the freedom Because now I don't have to please anybody but myself. And I've got time that I didn't used to have, and I'm going, how how do I manage this? How do I manage my time? How do I manage my money? And how do I give? How do I invest? And I'm doing all of those things, and I'm grateful for the wisdom of the Lord and friends and professionals in these areas, counselors to help me with my emotions, financial advisors to help me with my future and planning, investing, and giving, and sharing. And I immediately started to tackle my house, because I had an attic that was full, had a garage that was full, and I just started going away, going through and throwing out and giving away, taking to the mission, taking to goodwill, and I have an extended family member that just was horrified. Oh, you can't do that. Why why are you giving all that stuff away? I go, because I don't need it. I mean, I I gave all kinds of things away, you know, just... Really some cool stuff and, and just just trying to give and just just generate, start generosity, just get it flowing. If you're in a place where you can't give right now financially, you're never in a place where you don't have something to give. You can give your time. You can give your talent. And you know what? You have a lot of resources, tangible assets that you can go through. If, if the thing is clogged up right now and you're not experiencing a flow in the conduit of blessing, what was it? Augustine said, God is trying to give us blessings all the time, but our hands are too full to receive them. Hear that. You know, Andrew Murray said, the world asks, what does a man own? Christ asks, how does he use it? And over the years, when I'd get into a place where things were tight and I felt like it would be even a spiritual attack, I would just go to my closet and start pulling out things that were not just junk I didn't want but were nice things and I would bless somebody with them or I would take them to the mission and knew that it would clothe some homeless person's back. And just, just to keep the giving, I, you know, just like a farmer has to regularly sow seed, I just made sure that I kept giving. I just kept, kept a spirit of generosity going because the world of the generous gets larger and larger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. John MacArthur, a great Bible teacher of this generation, said this, God made all of his creation to give. He made the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, the earth, the plants, all to give. He also designed his supreme creation, man, to give. But fallen man is the most reluctant giver in all of God's creation. And so this morning, I just want to say to you, whatever you're facing, wherever you are, if there's a lockdown on blessing... Don't be need conscious, but sow a seed. Be seed conscious. Give something to somebody. Bless them. My person I was talking about, she just said, Oh, well, I want that if you're going to give it away. And I said, I love you. I'll just go ahead and tell you who it is my mother in law. I said, I love you. But you know, you're getting on up there. And in a few years, me and the kids are going to have to go through all that stuff. You'd do well to start giving it away right now. There's you, stuff in your closet you hadn't looked at in 20 years. You know you don't need it. Guys, we are, we are so jacked up in this culture. We, we go put stuff on credit cards that we can't afford to impress people we don't even like. And hock up our, our credit and get in debt up to our eyeballs and can't see. And we need to go back to God and look at the simplicity. I'm going to tell you what helped me. I watched a documentary on Netflix called Minimalism. And if you, if you, if you do Netflix, I'd encourage you to watch it because it's a whole movement in, in America and in the world just in terms of returning to a place of simplicity. And, and it just helped me declutter. I mean, I was, we were the kind of folks that had stuff everywhere. I remember my 90-year-old Aunt Lucille walked into my house one time and she says, oh, it's just like a museum in here. And if you knew my Aunt Lucille, that was not a compliment. She could compliment you and cut you to the bone, and you wouldn't know it until about noon tomorrow. <laughs> so, so I just decided it's time to, to, to clarify the museum around here. <laughs> and I started giving stuff away. And you know what? I really began to live what the apostles who quoted Jesus in Acts 20, verse 35, it's better to give than it is to receive. Now, how do I apply all this this morning? How can I worship the Lord spiritually, trust the Lord sacrificially? How can I honor the Lord systematically? How can I follow the Lord spontaneously? You know what it all begins in this moment right now as they bring the lights down, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The greatest thing you can